we are uh, once again delighted to be part of a Wednesday night study series, and we're thankful that we can have this time. The Lord blesses us every day, doesn't he? That's better than we deserve, and um, we know that everything that we seek to do is an opportunity that his grace uh, allows us. We're getting settled here, and we'll get right to our lesson. We always want to go to our Lord in prayer to, to begin, and we'll do just that. Let's bow. Oh, Holy Father, we call upon your throne of grace. Lord, we're mindful of your greatness. We're mindful of your goodness. We're mindful, Father, of all the things you have brought to pass throughout the history of this world. We're grateful, Father, that we can find salvation in your Son, Jesus. And Lord, for the many blessings, both spiritual and physical, we really lack words to be able to extend to you the gratitude that we need. Lord, we're thankful for the Holy Scriptures, these sacred writings that have been preserved for us. Help us, Father, to have our minds, our hearts, our lives open uh, this evening as we study your word. Bless our little ones, Father, as they gather into their classrooms. They study out your word. Bless our moms and dads and grandparents and all of our youth uh, leaders who guide our uh, young people uh, in your ways. Please bless them, Father. Encourage them. Give them the knowledge, the strength, the wisdom, the courage the need to to guide our little ones. Oh Lord, we pray that as we study that we'll learn to be more like you every day. Lord, we're mindful of those who might not be feeling well at this time. Father, you know their needs. We have always several on our list. Father, we we want to pray for those who are especially weak uh, that you would bless them and lift them up. Father, please bless our elderly ones, our, our shut-ins, or those that can't get out as much as they would like to. Oh, Lord, we pray especially uh, for them. Lord, we pray also that we might not be spiritually weak. We pray that you'd help us to grow in faith, that we would trust in you every day of our lives. Lord, we pray that anyone who may be in the path of the storm uh, this evening may be protected. Father, if anyone has lost, we pray that they might have those things recovered as soon as possible. Lord, we pray that you would help us always to set our hearts and set our hopes on you up above, that we will make our single goal in life to, to be there with you, Father, at your throne uh, forever and ever. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. We're going to extend some thoughts this evening on worship, if, if, um, if that's okay with you. Uh, we're going to uh, study a little bit further on worship. I say further because Sunday morning uh, we had the opportunity together to study during worship time. And I want to review that for just a minute or two. We noticed on the positive side of the, of the paper, we, we noticed that worship is to honor God is to honor God. Hallowed be thy name, is how Jesus taught us to pray. 
We're to honor God. He dwells in a high and holy place. And he deserves our honor because of who he is and because of all that he has done for us. And then we noticed on the positive side um, how we ought to worship in an accurate way, in, in truth. We must worship in truth. And uh, we noticed carefully how that, that means that we listen to God and, and we uh, notice what he says about worship in his New Testament. And we seek to be guided by uh, the New Testament and follow the examples of those that were guided by the apostles in those early times. We noticed also that worship must be authentic uh, in truth and in spirit. We must come to God with our whole heart, uh, focusing on Him and Him only uh, as we worship. And we noticed also Sunday morning that there are some challenges uh, toward being sincere in worship. And we noticed uh, two or three of those. Um, we must remain humble in worship. We noticed the example from Luke 18, how a Pharisee and publican went to the temple to pray. One was very humble, the publican, but the Pharisee was far from being humble. And so we noticed the importance of that. And if we're not humble, then that becomes a barrier for us to be able to worship as we ought. We noticed that worship can also be superficial. Superficial. It can, it can stay on the surface. And uh, God wants all of us in worship. When we say that, that means he wants our heart, he wants our attention, he wants our, our soul, he wants our energy, he wants all of us, all the parts of us in worship. He doesn't want us to come uh, in a superficial way. And then we notice that uh, selective worship can be a barrier. Selective worship. Um, I have told this uh, with Ken in our, in our youth class on Sunday morning, but... Um, I grew up in Walkington. Um, we went to church out near Smith Lake at Curry Church of Christ. And, and um, we had a strong church. We had some weak members as well. And, and um, during the warm weather, Brother Roger, during the warm weather, sometimes um, folks would pull into the church parking lot and they would have their boat hooked up to the trailer and they would pull in there and just as soon as the Lord's Supper was offered and done, then they would go get in their car and leave for the lake. And um, regardless of what other kind of worship was to happen after that. We can't be selective in our worship. That, that would be a huge barrier to serving our God. And we need to be careful about not uh, becoming distracted in worship. So these are the things that we mentioned Sunday morning. And so as an extension of some of these thoughts, I want, wanted to, us to have this discussion uh, tonight. I passed around a little uh, guide sheet here, but the very first question on top of the sheet is, uh, is it possible for us today to be involved in idolatry? In idolatry. We've been uh, studying through um, a survey of the Old Testament recently, and the other day we noticed um, in the life of Moses as he come down from the mountain, having received the law of God, uh, we read about this. Moses, descending from the mountain, uh, was enraged when he saw God's people bowing to the image. Already they were breaking the second commandment, which says, You shall not make for yourselves any carved 
image. You shall not bow down to them. Here they are bound down to some golden calves. In his anger, Moses broke the tables of stone on which they had uh, been written. And there were people who were very severely punished for worshiping uh, this golden uh, image. Okay. Is it possible for us today, then, uh, to be involved in idolatry? And so, um, uh, you are welcome to uh, answer that if you'd like to, or, or share your thoughts on that. Anyone would like to speak up? Okay, Brother Mike says anything that we put before God uh, becomes an idol. Ezekiel 14.4 does talk about idols being in the heart. Ezekiel 14.4, idols in the heart. And so it is possible for someone or some object or some habit or some philosophy or even some concern to become an idol, if you look at it from the standpoint of something coming between us and God, I would say, add to what Mike says there, I would say anything that comes between us and a full devotion to God can become an idol. Okay, do you agree with that? Full devotion. Because does Christ accept anything else, Brother Nathan? Does he accept anything else? So anything that comes between us and a full devotion to the Lord then can become an idol in the heart. Okay. Remember Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 30, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Matthew 12, verse 30. So um, the Lord expects us and expects all of us uh, as we follow Him. Okay. Kind of. Can I explain that a little bit for us? So Ken is making the remark here that, that one of the things that comes between us and God or that we begin to idolize is time, our own time. Not being willing to give up our own time, which uh, is kind of a redundant statement because it is God's time. He is allowing us time. But uh, not being willing to give up time for God, then that time itself becomes an idol uh, in our life. You know, Ephesians 5 and verse uh, 15 and 16 talks about making the most of your time because the days are evil. And it's very important that Paul says there in that phrase, because the days are evil. In other words, he's wanting to, us to use our time for godly influence because there's evil all around. Okay? It just surrounds us. And so that qualifying statement there is very important. Make the most of your time because the days are evil which implies use your time um, for godly influence and for God. Okay, anybody want to talk more about that? Did, did I relate that in your mind? People, people feel like they, you know, I work five days a week, I get no time for myself. And you see it more now that, you know, I've only got two days you know, for the weekend. I'm going to spend, spend that doing things I want to do. 
I can worship God in nature. You know, I don't have to be in the building. I can, so I can appreciate God while I'm walking through the woods or something. Okay. So, Brother Chuck, adding to that, people think or feel, some feel that as they have worked five days or put a good week's work in, then they need some me time, my time, and become very selfish with that. So, self is probably, we said Sunday together, that we are our own biggest distraction in worship. And that's, when I said that, that's what I meant. We, it's because we, we, we come in with our own thoughts and our own concerns and, and our decision to worship or not to worship is all focused on, on ourselves. Okay. But Jesus, when he first started calling disciples to him, Matthew 16, 24 says, first thing you got to do is do what? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. That's right. Very good. Okay, what else would you say in regard to... Uh, Practicing idolatry today, or today in our area of the world. Well, the Bible is very clear on one thing, and that is money and possession. So let's look at a couple of verses there. Colossians chapter 3, uh, if you don't mind, let's rush over there. Uh, Colossians, Philippians, Colossians, and then this will be chapter 3. This is Paul giving just general daily directions about Uh, living for God. He says in Colossians 3 and verse 5, Put to death therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see that? And put, put to death. Notice the beginning phrase there in the verse. Put this to death. Put this to death. And then he mentions covetousness, which is another word for greed. And that is idolatry. Okay. And you recall what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and 24. No man can serve two masters. You remember that? For either he will love the one and uh, despise the other or hold to the one and, and uh, hate the other. No man can serve God and mammon, Jesus says, or material things. It cannot happen. It cannot. There's not enough room in your heart for both God and money, possession. It cannot be done. And that's the Lord saying that. And so we don't need to test him with that. We just need to say, well, he knows best. Okay. So there are several other uh, verses we could uh, refer to. One other, First uh, Timothy uh, 6. First Timothy 6 is a good one because Paul mentions this very ideal Two or three times. As you're turning over there, also remember Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, where Paul again warns about greed. And then he says, uh, For the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. As if to say, Your protection against greed is to remember your service to God. Don't, don't get so scared about life where you think you have to pile up possessions and money to find your security. No. Be free from greed and, and remember the Lord uh, is with you. Now here in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, notice verses 9 and 10. But uh, they that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts, such as drown men in destruction and perdition. 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some reaching after have been led astray from the faith, and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then let your eyes go down to verse 17, same chapter. Uh, Paul says, Charge them that are rich in this present world, that they be not high-minded, nor have their hopes set on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. But on God. It's almost as if to say, this is a, this is a challenge. Uh, so who gives to all richly all things to enjoy, that, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, that they be ready to distribute, willing to uh, communicate. All right. So what else do you have uh, in regard to idolatry today? The possibility of that actually happening to us today. Think about this. Brother Paul, I want you to see what you think about this. Um, is it possible that someone can get a wrong image of God, even if they're looking toward the God of the Bible? Is it possible for someone to get a, get a wrong image of God and then have that misconception, that, that wrong image of God in their mind, and then go serve and worship that image of God? Okay. Would that be a form of idolatry, you think? Uh, for, let me give you an example. Give me, or go ahead. Uh, yes, I want an example, but my initial thoughts are yes. Okay. That people have uh, incorrect conceptions about who God is. Some think he is evil or not evil, but like this harsh, And that's, that's kind of along the lines I was speaking of. Paul was saying there are some that have a view of God and thinking that he's totally hard-hearted and harsh. Others say, well, he's so soft-hearted and good that he would never punish. So some look at God as a total punishing God. Others only run to the other way and say, well, he would never punish. And I have an example of that. Just, uh, just recently, a commentator on CNN was commenting and reacting to uh, religious people just not accepting homosexual marriage. And so this commentator from CNN said that those people need to go back and re-examine their view of God because he said the God of the Bible does not hinder people nor judge people. And that's that's his exact quote. He says the God I know does not hinder or judge people. He doesn't know the God he thinks he knows. Okay. Uh, but now that is a very, not just picking on one God, that is a very common, common belief out here in the world that, that uh, if you represent God as... Um, as saying that somebody in their life is not doing right, then you have a wrong concept of God. That's very common. 
So this could be then, um, well, you guys can help me with this, but is this possible to, to be a form of idolatry because you, you're creating an image of God that's not there? You know, it's just not there. You, you've got a con. So we've we got to bear that in mind and, and try to help people um, with that. One great verse on this uh, is Romans 11. Um, I'm just going to say 21 and 22. It's one of them, 21 or 22. But Paul reminds us of the goodness and severity of God. All right, that is our God. He is good and severe. And we must try to help ourselves first and then help others to understand that God is both and, and he is patient with us but he does have his standard his standard and his standard of course is his word and we violate that standard that's when we will receive the severity of God but if somebody said to you God is just way too severe anyway what would your reaction then be Suppose you're trying to make some progress with somebody who has this false concept that God is just harsh. Um, what would your reaction be? God is just overly harsh, and anyone who would ever threaten eternal punishment is not a God I want to serve. Well, as far as in general, God being too harsh, my first reaction is the cross. The cross. Um, how much further could God go to show that he truly does love humanity and doesn't want, doesn't want us to be lost than to give up his own son? Yeah. yeah Mark is saying... 1 Timothy 2, 4. He doesn't want any to perish. 2 Peter 3, 9. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That would be my general uh, reaction. Now, um, the Uzzah uh, uh, incident there in the Old Testament, it does show the importance of worshiping God and, and doing things in God's prescribed way. That is there for our learning. So, Uzzah would not have uh, died had they, not just him, but, but David and the whole company had done things according to God's instruction. We, we look at that with Uzzah, with them made out and buying you, you know, we don't look at him as harsh with them as, it, as we do with, with Uzzah. You know, they offered strange fire because they were using fire. Yeah. Yeah, that is written for our learning to stick to the will of God. One thing to think about in those situations that I've always thought about 
Brother Ken is saying to us, a lot of times these incidents look harsh, but really God knows the entire situation. He knows Uzzah's heart. He knows, he knows the ins and outs of what's going on there. Uh, the reference to Uzzah there is 2 Samuel uh, 6, and if you want to follow those references, you'll see that later David will admit that they didn't do correctly in, in what they were doing with this moving of the ark. But it's a good point. You know, one of the things we did mention Sunday morning in our lesson, God searches the hearts. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. God searches the hearts. And we can't do that. And so sometimes things will appear uh, harsh, when in reality, uh, if we knew the whole deal, if we knew a person's character, then it's a lot like a rich young ruler. Jesus gave him a, a demand. Go sell all you have, give it to the poor, take up the cross and follow me. And he went away sad because he had great many possessions. Jesus knew that man's heart. He knew how far he could push him. And he gave him a great test. And at least at that part of his life, the, the uh, richer and ruler failed the test. All right. So... Uh, thinking about ways in which we can become idolatrous is quite interesting, and certainly we need to, even ourselves, we need to be careful on the kind of image we create in our minds about, about God. Uh, to fully know who He is from the Scripture. From the Scripture. God reveals Himself in Scripture. We must study that out so we'll always be worshiping and serving the true God. Sometimes people will say, well, I like to think of God as, and then they'll fill in the blank. I like to think of God as my best friend. I like to think of God as, you know, as, as I did my mother or, or my, my little pet angel. You, you have a lot of people that fill in that blank in a lot of different ways. But in, in reality, it doesn't matter what we think we might want God to be. Uh, but it's as he's revealed is what we've got to get to. Yeah. All right. Uh, the second part of our uh, thought tonight is, uh, have you ever thought about the modern reasons given why people use mechanical instruments of music or why they would uh, be so free and loose and... Um, anything goes type of approach to worship. I thought I'd share this with you. I ran upon this a little while ago of a, a modern preacher in the evangelical church. And of course, these churches are anything goes in their worship. But what I've always thought, what is it that, how do they approach things? How do they approach things? Now, uh, in the past, the justification for instrumental music would be, well, the Bible supports it. Okay? But they don't use that anymore because you know, we've met those arguments over the last 40 years and that's, uh, that's not even tried anymore. Ephesians 5.19 talks about making melody in your heart and, and the pulling of, you pull the strings of your heart as you sing. Okay? And then used to, people would go back to the Old Testament and say, well, they used um, all sorts of instruments in the Old Testament. But that's a worn out argument too because all you have to do is show that that, you know, we, we don't live under that regime uh, anymore, that, that system anymore. And then all you've got to do is just say, well, well if you're going to use that, would you use animal sacrifices? And then they, get, they shy away from that real fast. And so 
So I've always wondered, what do they use? What do they use? So I want to share this with you. So look on your little sheet here and notice, um, here's what this guy says. And you can fill in the blanks or you can just listen. Uh, He says that differences in worship reflect the different personalities and backgrounds that we all have. Okay, I want you to understand this. This is this is his support. The differences that you see in worship uh, reflect the different personalities and backgrounds each people, each person has. Okay, when you and then he, he went on to say, when you look in the Bible, you see a lot of different forms of worship. You see some some people are shouting, some people are singing, some people are standing, some people are kneeling. Some people are dancing in the Old Testament. Some people are raising their hands. Some people are using mechanical instruments of music. And he's saying, all oh, that's fine because that reflects people's different personalities. Okay. Second statement here. He went on to say, the best style then. Now, this is how he approached what you do in worship. He said there's different styles of worship. Different styles of worship. So he said the best style in Worship is the one that most represents your personality and your background that God gave you. Okay. So all this different sort of worship scenes that we see and different approaches to worship is really not man's fault, it's God's fault. Because God gave you all these different personalities. Okay. That's kind of the direction he's going here. Alright, so the next statement. Uh, if God intentionally made all of us different, and we all are made different. He said if God makes all of us intentionally different, then how can he expect that we'll all love him in the same way and worship him in the same way? Okay, I'm, I'm showing you the argument that is often used now in evangelist, uh, evangelical churches. All right. So if God makes us all different, then how can you expect that God would want us to all come to him in the same way. And then he goes on to say, you don't bring glory to God by being someone different than God intended you to be. Okay. And he goes on to say, God doesn't want you to change your personality in order to serve and worship Him. Okay. So, his conclusion is, uh, so some seek intimacy with God in a lot of different ways. This goes toward what Chuck was saying. Some people... Um, they're just more outside people. And so they just worship. They, their thing to do is worship God outside. Some people naturally have a, 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 um, a way of artwork. And so their way of expressing themselves to God is through painting or creating uh, arts and crafts. And, and they glorify God uh, in that way. Uh, some people are very intellectual, and so they worship, they worship God in an intellectual way. Some people love to read so they worship God in that way. Some people love to exercise, so they use their exercise to worship God. Some people love solitude. They don't like to be around people. So therefore they use that which God has given them, their, their favor for solitude, they use that to bring glory to God. You see where he's going on this? In other words, his, his main idea is that God gave you, he made you the way you are. So therefore, you worship God in a way that most fits your personality. Okay. And that's his justification for anything that goes in worship. Okay. Have you heard that before? It's called feel-good religion. Just put in different words. Because you know, like Solomon said a long time ago in Ecclesiastes 12, there's nothing new under the sun. 
or maybe it was Ecclesiastes 12, but he said it several times in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Okay. And so it's not that man comes up with something new, but sometimes it's put in different kinds of words, and it is like that. Whatever makes me feel uh, the best, what I, whatever I am most comfortable with. Uh, one thing that struck me about reading this man's uh, writings was that he kept saying, um, you know, whatever it is that strikes me as being what, how God made me. How God made me is how I ought to worship Him. And he kept saying, you don't have to change your personality in order to worship and serve God. Do you think that's a true statement? It's not true. We all have to change. Worship is about change, isn't it? He is. He is. He's And that is, that is the basis of our response to that. Is it is not about us. It is about God. And God, well, the God that we serve, getting back to the God revealed in the Bible, the God that we serve knows us best, doesn't he? Doesn't he know best how he wants? Doesn't he know best what is best for us as far as showing devotion to him? Doesn't he know best? And I think you kind of start leaving your faith a little bit there because you, you walk off the sacred pages onto human wisdom there when you say, well, just do it according to your personality. Well, that's, God knows best. And why did he reveal what he revealed if, if you can just go off and do your own thing? Brother Roger saying this this kind of plays into the idea of a lot of folks just will go start their own little religious group, their own little church, because they want to create something that that fits. They feel it fits them. Okay, go ahead. Ken's saying that it's a control issue, and man has a lot of trouble with control, don't we? And we? We want to control things. We want to direct things. 
And we sing, all to Jesus I surrender. And that's certainly very biblical as we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, but it is a problem we have just to give up that control. So you very well know that one of the passages that uh, we can look at is Colossians 2, 22 and 23, where Paul condemns what we mentioned uh, Sunday morning as will worship, W-I-L-L, will worship. And so just to explain will worship a little bit further, I've got some uh, thoughts here. Uh, and this is just a compilation of different scholars who have said, well, here's what will worship is. Okay. So let me just mention these to you here. Will worship is uh, worship that I choose for myself. Self-chosen worship. All right? Self-chosen worship. Next blank is, will worship is self-made worship. Another fellow described it as self-made uh, worship. Um, interesting you said that, because the next blank is, uh, another Greek scholar said, will worship is uncontrolled worship. Uncontrolled worship. An approach where uh, you just decide for yourself uh, how it's going to go. And then um, worship is that which man devises and prescribes for himself. Okay, if you've ever heard uh, the Greek scholar Thayer, okay, many of you have seen Thayer's Greek lexicon, that's what he says about will worship. Uh, it's worship which man devises and prescribes for himself. And then will worship uh, is that which man chooses according to his own fantasy. Let me tell you where this comes from. The Geneva Bible, which was translated in 1560, when it comes down to Colossians 2, 22 and 23, in the margin of their Bible, I don't know why scholars do this, but oftentimes the better translation is found in their footnotes. So in the margin of the Geneva Bible in 1560, this is what they said about will worship. They said, this is what man chooses according to his own fantasy. It's interesting how that... Back in the 1500s, they would use that word fantasy, but it's not too bad. Okay, what he chooses according to his own fantasy. And then uh, also, will worship would be that which is done by freedom of choice instead of God's choice. Another scholar said that. That which man chooses by his own choice and not by divine uh, choice. So... Just a little bit more there on, on will worship from Colossians 2. You remember what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, uh, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay. Will worship will be the opposite of that. Okay. We can fully know what is God's good and acceptable and perfect will for all of life, worship, service, plan of salvation, um, family life, all of it. We can know what God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is. But when we get out there on our own, then that goes right in opposite direction. In the book of Judges, chapter 17, verse 6, the uh, thought there is, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In Judges 17, verse 6, also Judges latter part of the book of Judges, 21, 25, or 25, 21. But Judges 17, 6 says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's basically what this fellow is describing here as his approach uh, to uh, worship.
Who can tell me from 1 Kings chapter 12, who was the leader who changed God's worship in those days? In 1 Kings 12. Do you remember what's going on in 1 Kings right after Solomon? What happened right after Solomon? Okay. The, two, the kingdom went in two different ways. Some followed Rehoboam. Some followed Jeroboam. Jeroboam to the north. And Jeroboam didn't want them going off and worshiping back down uh, south to Jerusalem. So he began to devise his own worship. What did he do? You remember? Uh, he put made golden calves of all things, of all things, golden calves again. Put one in Dan and one in Bethel, and said, "Here are the gods. Here are your gods." Okay. What else did he do? Okay. He just started appointing priests who were not of the tribe of Levi. Okay. He just started going around and said, "You're a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest." Okay. And then he changed um, some of the times of the feast. Now the feast of the tabernacles was the um, 15th day of the 7th month. And so uh, Jeroboam set up the 15th day of the 8th month uh, to be their feast that would be resembling the tabernacle. And so he was changing all kinds of things in regard uh, to worship. Just a very rebellious man. When you look in 1 Kings, you will often see uh, the Bible say uh, Jeroboam made several people to sin. He caused people to sin. And so uh, we could, if we'd had the time, we could go back there and read it. But if you look at 1 Kings 12, the latter part of that chapter tells about um, those things. Well, thank you so much for uh, being involved in this uh, discussion. Again, I asked a question there. What about God? Doesn't He know best? Doesn't He know best? It's important to come to know God, and then you see that He knows best, and you find out what He has set out for us what he has prescribed um, for, for worship. Back when I was in school, about um, 1988, um, one of our teachers, uh, he left for a few days, and a lot of other people left. And um, I didn't get to go, but a lot of students made the trip to Neosho, Missouri, where there was a debate on instrumental music between Alan Hires and um, Given Blakely. Given Blakely is from the uh, Christian Church. And we studied that debate after um, it was over. And Blakely's approach was simply, there's no formula for worship. No formula for worship. He didn't try to prove that instruments were okay by the Bible. He just came in. Every time he got to the stand, he said, God is good. He has not instituted any formula for worship. And so that was his. And then Brother Howard would get up there and go through all the scriptures in the New Testament. And, and then he would, he would get up there and speak five or ten minutes and just say there's no formula for worship. And so even back in the 80s, uh, the trend was to go toward this anything goes in worship. Well, appreciate it so much. We'll take about a three-minute break here and uh, have our devotional.